This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Mike Hug, CFO of Wyndham Destinations. You're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 462. consulting was was how to get a deep understanding of a problem and articulate it clearly. It's important to learn the, the real explanation for why something is the way it is, not just one of many explanations. That's, that's what you get paid for in consulting. And that's probably the most important part of being a, a CFO for me. You know, simply looking at a fluctuation in a number and saying it might be caused by X is never sufficient. You need to look at every aspect, look at prior period, look at alternative cuts, individual accounts, invoices, contracts, whatever, you know, whatever drives the number, um, and ultimately be able to explain it. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Justin Crotty, CFO of Anaqua. Justin advanced into Anaqua's CFO office after helping mint a new growth strategy for the SaaS developer that today helps corporations and law firms gain a competitive advantage from their intellectual property. Our interview with Justin begins after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Justin Crotty, CFO and COO of Anaqua, provider of intellectual asset management and SaaS software and services. Justin, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. As always, Justin, we want to uh, ask you first to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences you feel help prepare you to play a, a CFO role. Uh, what comes to mind when I ask you that? So I haven't followed the, the traditional path, uh, Jack, to the to the CFO and now COO role. It's been, um, you know, traditional path is more of public accountant to in-house controller to CFO and um, my path has been a little more, little more circular, uh, circuitous rather in getting here. So, um, have you seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire? <laughs> sure, great film. Yeah. So, uh, one of my favorites. So, you know, the spoiler alert in case anyone hasn't seen it. So, you know, the the whole movie, the protagonist, you know, is having these experiences and they sort of come together in ways that he, you know, in a way that he wasn't expecting. Um, ultimately for the better, and that's sort of the way my career has unfolded. So 
you know, I've had a general long-term goal um, of growing a business and being a decision maker, but shorter term, I've just tried to focus on doing things that were interesting or things that others didn't want to do and focus on gaining valuable experiences. So I started my career in tech consulting. Um, I was at a company called Sapient, uh, and I was a project manager. And I did that, you know, coming out of college. I'd studied engineering and business and thought that that was a sort of good way to, uh, you know, going there was a good way to sort of continue working in both of those areas. So I wound up spending four years as a tech project manager building early dot-com websites. Um, and, it, you know, this this was dot-com days, so everything was going crazy. Um, and before I turned 24, I was managing a team of over 20 people. You know, it was complex technology, tough industry, tough client. Um, no one wanted to run that project, but I said I'd give it a shot. And I basically wound up failing pretty miserably on that one. Um, drove the project into the ground. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ultimately I, I dusted myself off. We got the project, you know, delivered. Uh, finally, and I focused on really being a good project manager and, you know, narrowing down uh, scope, project plan, client, uh, take, taking care of your team. And I felt like if I could keep on top of those things that I could manage, manage any project. Um, and actually, as a, so as a CFO, COO now, that's been a key part of my success. So, you know, at Anaqua, we still do, we do da daily stand-up meetings with my team. Um, you know, I really make an effort to focus on uh, ensuring that we're getting things done and managing plans um, in whatever it is that, that we do. Um, so that, you know, for, sort of first thing where, you know, focusing on having good experiences and building skill sets and ultimately, you know, is coming really beneficial uh, as a senior, you know, senior finance and operating exec. Um, the second one uh, I think about is, you know, when I was working in tech consulting, I wound up doing a project for Sapien CEO at the time. Uh, his name is Jerry Greenberg. He was one of the two CEOs. Um, so I did this project. It was modeling out, you know, long-term outsourcing type of engagements. And I brought him my work, and uh, he asked me some pretty basic finance questions that I just didn't know the answer to. Um, and I realized at that point that if I wanted, you know, a career in business, I needed to know something about finance. Um, so I wound up going to business school and then off and then did uh, investment banking for a few years after that. Um, and it was key, you know, sort of key learning for me for, you know, five years in business school and investment banking was that you just really need to know the, the language of finance and the basic concepts. Um, and then you can sort of figure out any, you know, financial situation you're confronted with. You don't need to be the expert in any, you know, in every area. Um, of finance. So that was sort of a key learning for me. I also learned that, you know, at the time, if you pronounce it finance uh, with the, instead of finance with the long I, then everyone thinks you know what you're doing. So I try to always make sure I pronounce it finance. Um, and then most recently, I spent about seven years in a strategy consulting role uh, serving software and services companies, um, you know, prior to my immediate role in Anaqua, which has been about two and a half years. And what I learned in Strategy consulting was, was how to get a deep understanding of a problem and articulate it clearly. Um, in consulting, it's important to learn the, the real explanation for why something is the way it is, um, not just one of many explanations. That's, that's what you get paid for in consulting. Um, and that's probably the most important part of being a, a CFO for me. Um, you know, simply looking at a fluctuation in a number and saying it might be caused by X is never sufficient. You need to look at every aspect, look at prior period, look at 
alternative cuts, individual accounts, invoices, contracts, whatever, you know, whatever drives the number um, and ultimately be able to explain it. Um, so, you know, that, and, and ultimately one of the projects I did as a strategy consulting partner was for Anaqua to map out a growth strategy uh, for their new CEO in 2015, who was a former client of mine. Uh, and then when they were looking for a new CFO a few months later, they, they gave me a call, and that's sort of how I've, you know, come to be in the, in the role. <laughs> I'm looking at, at, at the company Sapien, of course, uh, was really an innovator inside of the early dot-com days. What strikes me, um, you were building dot-coms right before the dot-com implosion, and you went into investment banking right before the financial collapse. <laughs> Seriously, uh, it, it seems like the, the economy has taught you some hard lessons at the early part of your career. You not only hit one, you hit both head on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of the value, right? I think those have been some of the most valuable experiences in my career have come out of those, you know, most painful times in the economy. Um so if you reflect back on Sapien, I mean, I think a key, a key lesson learned there, I mean, yes, we, we made a bet strategically to focus on dot-com. So when I joined in 96, the company was actually doing client serve, you know, custom client-server uh, implementations. And within a year or two, we decided to focus on this emerging dot-com trend and, um, you know, really focused on that and, and, and rode the wave and were highly successful doing it. I think at one point – you know, the company was worth, the market cap was $9 billion and there were 3,000 people. So do the math for what that means in terms of value per employee. Um, but you can't control, you know, where the market goes. The only thing you can do is focus on doing the right things. And I give a lot of credit credit to the Sapient leadership at that time. So they focused on, you know, adapting the business model, doing the right things. They uh, pivoted the company away from pure dot-com sites to also focus on, uh, marketing services, they focused on a sort of lower cost uh, offshore model, and ultimately, you know, the company was successful, so they rebounded, um, you know, had high, wound up hiring even more people, ultimately sold the business a couple years ago uh, to Publicis, so, um, you know, for, I think, almost $4 billion, so, you know, really a study in, in perseverance there, um, you know, and sort of similar lessons uh, personally from investment banking, you know, when I was at, uh, I was at Lehman Brothers, and then, um, obviously, Lehman, you know, the, uh, where, where the, the issues came from in that business were more on the uh, mortgage and credit side of the house rather than traditional investment banking. So, you know, a lot of the people from uh, Lehman Brothers, I know you've spoken with some of them on your, your podcast, you know, wound up to be very successful by applying the same practices uh, at other institutions. So, you know, again, just, you know, study and perseverance. It is a, a career that's been rich uh, with sort of the consulting mindset. You know, one would imagine you have a really strong grasp of client relationships, customer, uh, you know, points of view. How, how has that perhaps influenced you as a CFO? I'd say that the first part of, you know, the first, um, uh, you know, implication of, of coming into a CFO role from a, from a strategy role. The first one, you know, it's, it may sound obvious, but it's, it's leading with strategy. So it's, you know, the goal isn't to start with the accounting and see where the strategy winds up. The goal is to have the strategy and then be able to work all of the pieces of the finance organization or accounting or whatever it may be into the, the strategy. So, 
that's, you know, first and foremost for me, that's been, that was an exciting part of the role when I took it, was the opportunity not only to run the finance organization, but from the start, I also ran strategy and, and corporate development um, and partnered closely with the CEO in, in that. But, you know, understanding what are the market needs, you know, what are the pain points that customers have, where are the areas of opportunity, focus the business on that, and then it's, you know, what do we need to put in place to make sure that we can be successful there. And that's organically, so ensuring we're delivering the right reporting, the right metrics, you know, visibility to uh, the key leaders of the business. And then also, importantly, is inorganic. So we've, uh, we've completed an integrated five acquisitions since I've been here in, uh, in about three years. So, um, you know, and that's been a key part of our, our growth and strategy as well is identifying the right acquisitions that, you know, fit with our strategy and then executing them and, and integrating them. So tell us about arriving at Anaqua and the opportunity that was before you there. Was it something you expected? Was it the surprise path where a door swung open, or what would you tell us? I was aware of the opportunity um, by virtue of the, the work I had done. You know, I had done that, that consulting project I mentioned earlier and had done some prior work in intellectual property. Um, so I was convinced it was a great, you know, market to be in, um, you know, a little bit about uh, intellectual property for, for a moment. So if you think about the ways that organizations can achieve sustainable competitive advantage, you know, in my opinion, there's only really two. It's, it's innovation and invention and it's branding. Um, and nothing else is really sustainable. And if you, if you can do both of those, then you're in the top, top right quadrant, uh, you know, like Apple. Um, you know, it's really about, if you take a look at, at companies that have been successful, um, I think those are really the two keys for, for long-term competitive success and differentiation. And that's what Anaqua is all about. It's all about protecting investments in innovation and branding for either corporations or, you know, law firms working on behalf of customers in those, in those areas. Um, so for me, you know, I saw the opportunity and, and the, the great position the company had and, you know, great customers, employees, et cetera. Um, so, you know, that's what drew me in, and I had a relationship with the, the CEO from prior, um, from prior consulting work. Um, and then when I got here, it was, you know, obviously, um, you know, the business had been successful, but it had been run in a, in a you know, relatively low-cost, low-risk manner for, for several years. Um, you know, they kept the cost structure low, and, you know, a few decent quarters of bookings would add up to a very good year. And if not, it wasn't a problem because the cost structure was pretty low uh, and margins were still good. Um, and, you know, private, private equity owners wanted to set up a more sustainable platform for growth, and that was the mandate for, for the new CEO who came in in mid-2015. Um, so when I joined, we had to invest, you know, pretty significantly in our finance infrastructure with, you know, peoples and systems um, we're still running on a, on a very simple accounting software package through 2015, you know, something more geared for, for a neighborhood dry cleaner than a global business. Um, so when I got here, we finished putting in NetSuite. Um, you know, it was a global accounting package. We added global tax advisory. We set up transfer pricing for the first time. We put in cash management procedures. You know, we, we executed our global compliance or we got compliant globally. Um, we had a level of people at the senior accountant and manager level. Um, and they've, you know, they've been promoted up and been great partners to me in running the business. Um, we added a, a FP&A, a financial planning and analysis role, 
Um, we added corporate development to help with the acquisitions uh, and partnerships that I mentioned earlier. So, you know, we had a, we had a lot of work to do to sort of set up that sustainable uh, platform for growth when I arrived here. Now, how is Aniqua's offerings set apart in the marketplace today? Are there and, and give us a sense of the competitive landscape out there. Are there much larger firms that offer these services that you're going up against? There are. So um, the, the, the company, the, the, the origin story is uh, it came out of Ford and British American Tobacco in 2004. And there were some, some folks there who were look, looking to build a, a robust software platform for managing their own intellectual property and, um, you know, rather than outsource the function wholly to law firms, you know, have a good platform for being able to manage your IP and sort of make decisions and uh, manage the, the process of getting new IP and um, determine how to best monetize the IP that you have. Um, and the, the company for a long time has had the, you know, best workflow software uh, available in the market. It, you know, guides you in which steps to follow when you're getting your new IP, um, you know, it was, it was very sort of precise uh, workflow software. What but competitors, you know, over time, competitors began to close the gap. Um, so a few years ago, you know, since since the new CEO and I've been here, you know, we've invested heavily to differentiate. So we've added uh, integrated uh, payments. So, you know, once you get a patent or a trademark, you typically need to make uh, annual or less frequent uh, payments globally to all of these uh, patent and trademark offices. Um, so we've added an integrated offering to do that. Uh, we've added IP analytics, so you know it doesn't. The software doesn't just um, guide you in the steps to do it; actually supports you in making decisions. Um, we've added you know dynamic reporting. We've added all, all of these capabilities that help make the software more relevant to uh, key decision makers and IP executives. Um, so we do have uh, competitors in the market. Um, many of whom are, you know, more geared to that services side that I mentioned earlier and making those uh, payments. You know, they sort of come at it from a uh, historical payments perspective. You know, we're really a software-driven uh, organization, software-driven company. Uh, we do have those services as well, um, but for us, we view those as complementary to the, to the software. So for you, though, it would be the uh, typical metrics of a SaaS model. Renewable revenues, lifetime customer value, these types of measurements, or what would you share with us? Absolutely. So, uh, so we're a subscription business, so we're driven by bookings. Um, so for us, that would be, you know, that's the one-year value of the software subscription, as you mentioned, uh, but also our payments business. And then we typically include the implementation in there as well. You know, it is um, the, the workflow software, it is a pretty – uh, can be a pretty intense implementation where you're looking at changing your uh, process flows inside the organization. So uh, generally for our implementations, we have the, um, we have a project manager, you know, uh, we have business analysts, uh, and we have technical consultants. Um, so, you know, it's pretty robust uh, implementation to make sure that, you know, not only does the software get implemented, but make sure that you'll be successful, um, you know, once you do have it in place. Um, so we do consider that as, as part of our bookings, which not all software companies do. Um, so, you know, those, so bookings is sort of a key metric. Um, one that we've been, you know, now we're monitoring is net revenue retention, um, which I think, you know, your, your listeners probably know, but there's, there's both gross 
revenue retention and net revenue retention, and it's a little counterintuitive because gross is typically lower. It excludes the upsells, and net is the total change in revenue for your existing customers, and we look at those uh, metrics. And then also because of the payments business, you know, we do manage um, and track our cash collections and remittances to all of these, uh, you know, global agents and patent trademark offices. So, you know, we, in addition to, you know, the, the traditional metrics, we also, you know, keep an eye on those um, payment metrics. Um, the payment metric, uh, would you call that, that's not a, that's a financial metric. That's not a non-financial metric, or how would you classify it? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically, uh, I, I would classify it as a financial metric. So essentially what we do is we look at the traditional uh, operating metrics around cash management for our software customers, right, which is our, our AR, our DSOs, you know, our um, uh, 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 basically how we're tracking, you know, how later we, how later are collections relative to total balances and things like that. And then we separately manage the, the payment side of things because those are very large cash numbers that don't necessarily hit all of your operating metrics, but you need to keep an eye on those as well, again, to make sure that you're collecting the cash and remitting it to these global patent and trademark offices, you know, on time. Um, you know, that's a, it's, it's a key part of our value proposition to our customers. Yeah, you recently uh, took on the COO role as well. So rather than a, a separate role, it was more the, the obvious expansion of, of a, an existing role. Right. So uh, over time, so I've been here two and a half years, and uh, over time it just made sense to, um, you know, start working with other parts of the business that were relatively closely related to finance. Um, so I started working with uh, uh, sales operations, you know, so we decided that that, you know, made more sense, um, mainly for controls purpose, to have that report up into finance. Um, so sales operations, uh, we moved over. Legal, you know, obviously we're a co contract business, so um, having legal, you know, report up to me, um, you know, so I could partner with our GC and our contracts attorney, um, made sense to do that over time, and then, uh, uh, HR we added in as well. You know, I mentioned the global compliance earlier, so um, obviously as a global business and expanding rapidly internationally, a lot of, you know, compliance questions for setting up uh, global entities, uh, payroll, et cetera. So uh, HR, I started working with them. Um, and then uh, uh, also was the, what we call cloud operations, which is our IT and hosting. Um, again, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a key part of our business. Um, you know, critical for our customers, a lot of contractual complexity. Um, so at some point over the past year or so, I started working with our CIO uh, on that business. So it's, it was more about, you know, these areas of the business that sort of fit with uh, what, we, what we had been doing in finance and strategy, and then, you know, titles sort of came more recently after to just kind of be reflective of that fact. I wanted to um, find out from you I, – I, we didn't touch on your team earlier. I have to imagine uh, you have a, a, a controller or maybe a chief accounting officer. What, how did you structure uh, finance? As you move into this broader role, it would seem that your team was uh, – you had to have that in place, of course. Right. So we're uh, fortunate to have a good you know, global controller here in Boston. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we've been building out the team under him, including a – 
uh, manager uh, of technical accounting. Now she's recently was promoted to assistant controller. Um, so we had a team reporting to him, you know, that, that could give him some leverage, um, you know, as I took on additional responsibilities to, you know, ensure that everything was, was, was getting done. Um, we also have a, a global controller for our French business, uh, sorry, a um, local controller for our, our uh, payments business, which is based in France, uh, who is also a key part of, you know, ensuring that the operation runs smoothly. Um, and then, you know, recently, uh, you know, around the same time that I took on the COO uh, title, we um, moved around our, uh, our FP&A and corporate development, and we created a new group called Strategic Finance. Um, so now that group is responsible for, um, you know, managing our, our budget, um, uh, doing our budget to actuals reporting, and they've retained the uh, M&A and uh, partnership and inorganic responsibilities. Um, so that's been a key part of our, our growth as well. And, and that strategic finance group, again, you described it well for us. I'm just wondering, is that that's a, a fairly small group uh, overall, I would imagine. It is, yeah. It's relatively, it, it's two people now. So there's a, a senior director and an associate director, um, you know, with, um, you know, responsibility, sort of a matrix type of, you know, responsibility across the organization when, you know, for example, if we're working on, a, on an acquisition, then, you know, they may project manage it, but, you know, are obviously responsible for uh, coordinating with everyone across the organization to make sure we're putting the right, you know, team in place to evaluate that acquisition. What would you share with us when I ask for a finance strategic moment where your lines of sight into the organization as someone um, – uh, aware of the finance ebb and flow, what what did it reveal to you, and how did you uh, respond to what you saw, whether it was a risk or an opportunity? What would you share with us? There are a lot of a lot of potential examples I could I could draw on. Um, I was thinking about one, which was um, I mentioned earlier that the the project that I did uh, as a consultant for an aqua before I came in house. Um, so that was you know. It, there, there was a new CEO in the business, and he was looking for a growth strategy um, and really just to sort of, you know, market, you know, some facts on the market and competitors and, you know, just this sort of, you know, general set of information that you would that, that you'd be looking for if you were coming in as a, you know, CEO in a new organization and a new, you know, new space for you. So um, we came in and did, you know, relatively quick assessment of the business, um, Looked at a bunch of areas, spoke with customers, spoke with prospect, prospects, analyzed some of the financial measures, some of the non-financial measures, and, you know, put together this uh, pretty comprehensive report in about four weeks. And um, one of the things that we found in that analysis, you know, if you, if you were to go to Anakwa's website back then in uh, 2015, you know, on the homepage, it, it, I forget exactly what it said, but it was kind of, you know, who are you? And you could pick from law firm or corporate, and you could pick large, medium, and small. Um, and then based on which, which of those, you know, boxes you picked, it would sort of take you down a path of explaining what offerings there were and how they could, you know, they could, they could fit your needs. Um, the reality was what we found in the analysis is that the company didn't really have a, a winning proposition for the, you know, for smaller customers who didn't view IP as strategic. Um, and 
implementing and adopting the software still required a lot of effort by those customers at Anaqua. You know, the unit economics weren't great for Anaqua. Um, you know, customers, um, you know, sort of smaller, you know, customers that had opted into that smaller segment, you know, customer satisfaction wasn't great. Um, so our rec one of our recommendation recommendations was to move out of that part of the market, at least for now. And, you know, what the, what the business has done, what we've done, what Anaqua has done now over the past few years is really focus on customers who view intellectual property as strategic. Um, and that typically means those customers who have more IPS that's under management, um, but it can sometimes mean smaller customers who are growing their IP, you know, significantly, either organically or via acquisition, uh, or for whom IP really is the business. But, you know, sort of the, the smaller customers not viewing IP as strategic, we've just sort of, you know, shifted away from serving those. Um, um, and that I think that the impact has been, you know, really positive because, you know, we've really we've doubled down and refocused on the strategic view of IP. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you know, some of the things we've done around integrating IP analytics, for example. You know, now we have not just a platform that helps you get your new IP, but helps you make decisions, you know, once you have that intellectual property and analyze, you know, for example, which are your most valuable um, patents, you know, which, are, which of your patents are being cited by patent examiners to block competitors' uh, patents. You know, that's, that's the type of thing that for a customer that views IP as strategic is, is hugely valuable, uh, and that's where we've really focused our, you know, time and resources um, over the past few years. And if I think back, you know, I think, it, you know, one of the, 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 the ways we got started down that path was by, you know, making that decision to focus on that segment uh, of the, the market, you know, a few years ago and, and place our bet on the sort of, um, you know, that, that segment that views IP as strategic. When we come back, we enter the mentoring round with CFO Justin Crotty. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We are going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several uh, quick questions relate, uh, intended for uh, future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? You know, 20 years ago, um, I talked about safety. One of the things I worked on there was opening an office in Japan. Um, and now, obviously, Anaqua is a global um, business as well, I, actually with a large and growing uh, presence in Japan um, in particular. Um, but the, the tools, technology, and infrastructure now versus 20 years ago to be able to operate a global business, I mean, it's really remarkable. We're so much better at localizing products and interacting with customers, uh, interacting with colleagues, 
you know, using these virtual tools, um, you know, uh, working with our partners that are just, you know, everything to be able to operate a global business uh, just works so much better now than, than 20 years ago when I first started working in, uh, you know, in a global uh, enterprise. So uh, just looking back, your arrival uh, inside the CFO office, what is that, that piece of advice you wish someone had given you now as you look back in retrospect? Someone, someone did give me great advice midway through my career, so it was about 10 years ago. Um, I had been laid off. It was Thanksgiving 2008. You know, we talked about financial meltdown uh, earlier, and um, you know, I had a young family, new mortgage. Um, you know, I'd been a, a pretty successful mid-level investment banker, and then all of a sudden found myself with no job. Um, so I did, you know, a huge amount of networking. Um, one of the people that I met up with uh, was the CFO of a small private equity firm at the time. And I met him, uh, you know, through some networking, and uh, he took me to lunch. Uh, he paid, which was great at the time. Um, you know, he offered, you know, he, uh, he heard my story, made a few intros. Um, but at the end of it, he go, you know, he said, uh, he, I remember the advice. He said, you're going to be fine. He said, you're doing all the right things. It will all work out. Um, you know, just focus on sort of doing the right things, having good experiences, and you're going to be fine. Um, and I think that's the, you know, that's the best advice that I can pass along, which is, you know, if you focus on doing the right things, have good experiences, have a general sense of where you want to go ultimately, um, but, you know, it'll, it'll all work out. you have a personal habit that you think has contributed in some way to your, your professional success? You know, it's, it's rare to hear anyone mention the importance of your family in these senior and finance and operating roles, but for me, I think that's a top priority. So it's not really a – I don't know if it's a habit or not, but these are all-encompassing jobs, and I've tried to involve my family in it along the way. You know, I let them know when, um, when we've got quarterly board reporting coming up. You know, I let them know when – we're working on a deal, um, you know, an acquisition or, you know, things are going to be heating up, um, you know, that I'm going to be, you know, busy for a little while. I, I let them know how we're tracking on our annual objectives, um, you know, that determines where my bonus is headed. So, you know, I found that if you, um, you know, just try to, you know, keep your, your family sort of aligned and up to speed with what you're doing, then it, it just makes for, um, you know, it, it, it's just a sort of more um, – you know, collaborative type of type of environment, and um, you know, people. You know, my my family has a, a pretty good sense of what we're doing, and um, you know, feels like it's more of a team effort than a sort of sole, you know, sole effort. Is there a, a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? So the, the panel I was speaking on when I met you, Jack, was um, was for a book was for a book called Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick. Um, which was written by three McKinsey partners, um, and I really, I really like the book. That's why I was, I was happy to, to be asked to join the panel. So they did a study of 2,400 companies to analyze what drives financial success over time, and they quantify and prioritize the key drivers, um, not just anecdotes. So for me, you know, with a consulting background, it really resonated, um, and I think they did a nice job of. of not only providing, you know, good uh, fact base to help you, um, you know, with your career and decisions, but they also kept it light. They hired a, a cartoonist who wound up drawing about 50 cartoons that are worked into the text. Um, and in some cases, those cartoons make the point even more powerfully than the writing. Um, 
So Strategy Beyond Beyond the Hockey Stick was a book I would definitely recommend. I, I should mention that was the MIT uh, CFO Summit that I approached you at. And uh, for our listeners, they might recall we recorded just a very short segment uh, that appeared a few episodes back uh, where I asked you one question. In fact, it was a similar question to what I'm about to ask you, which is uh, usually our final question, but I think uh, you might ha- bring greater context to it now that we know a good deal more about Anakwa and uh, your finance mindset. What are your priorities as you look forward in uh, 2019 here over the next 12 months? Um, so I'd focus on on two. So, you know, obviously, first and foremost is achieving our financial objectives. So, you know, delivering on the benefits, delivering benefits on the investments our, our owners have made, um, you know, in the business. I mentioned that platform for sustainable growth. Um, so now that we've made a lot of those investments, it's really focusing on, on driving and uh, achieving profitable growth. Um, that's number one. Number two, I'd say, is building the team and establishing sustainable processes. So, you know, working in a growth business, a growth environment is hard enough. Um, and that really compounds if you don't have the right people and processes to make it manageable. So, um, you know, we've done a lot of work there, but uh, looking forward into 19, I mean, that's something I, you know, establishing uh, sustainable processes, making sure we have the right people in the right roles um, is really, you know, key, key focus for me. Justin Crotty, thank you for joining us. CFO Paul Peter. Great, thanks, Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.